0: Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast on the theme of fintech 2021 from crisis to consolidation. This podcast forms part of a series that we're running on what's in store for the fintech sector in 2021 and beyond covering product development, M&A in fundraising, regulation, competition law and beyond. We launched the series with a detailed review which we published on our website around a month ago. So of course, I strongly commend that to you if you haven't seen it already. Today, we're delighted to be joined by two real sector experts. We have Mike Carter. Mike is Executive Chairman at the Money Platform and he's Head of Platform Lending for Innovate Finance, the fintech industry body. Mike's also a member of the Article 36h group at Innovate Finance as well. Uh, And we have Marshall Williamson, Marshall is Head of Legal at 11FS, the consulting research and benchmarking business for the digital financial services sector. Mike and Marsha, welcome, and thank you very much indeed for joining. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. Could we start by looking back slightly, having said this is Fintech 2021, just to set the scene. Um, As we record this, we're two days into the UK's second national lockdown, so we're we're getting used to being locked down again, um, as we were for much of 2020, of course. Looking back at 2020 so far, what do you think the crisis has told us about the resilience of the fintech sector in the UK? And perhaps I'll start with Mike for, for that one.
1: Sure, thanks, Rich. Well, I think um, the crisis has unexpectedly provided an opportunity for a lot of platforms to actually test their business model um, in, a, in a volatile and in some cases high growth or, or um, declining environment. Um, and as you, as you know, most fintechs build a platform on the basis that they are looking to build something that can scale rapidly, scale efficiently and scale cheaply. Um, And often the challenge is actually getting the volume through to to test the platform. Well, during 2020, some sectors have really seen high growth and volatility. For example, payments businesses have had a much higher volume of business going through their platforms. Uh, Regtech businesses have had a big increase in activity as a result of a lot of businesses suddenly working from home so they've all had a chance to actually test out the scalability of their platform or whether or not they fall over if they get too much business and most of these businesses have actually come through pretty well in terms of being able to to show that scalability we've also seen that in lending so for example despite the volatility in the market um, smes have shown a bigger increase in applying for loans online and Funding Circle, for example, announced that they had a 20% market share in Seabills earlier on this year because yeah. they're able to deliver that product through their online platform, which is hugely impressive. Obviously, there are going to be other businesses that are, that will have struggled as a result of lower volumes, um, but it has been quite a range
0: of different tests for different types of platform. Thanks, Mike. That, that, that's really interesting to draw out, you know, the, the different ways in which different types of business... Within what we call the fintech sector, uh, have, have have been affected. Um, to, turning to Marcia um, at Eleven FS, with, with all of the research that you do, uh, it seems to me that you you, get, you must get a great uh, view, a great picture of the of the sector as a whole. Um, how has it seemed to you in ter- in terms of effects in different subsectors uh, of 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 the industry and of the sector?
2: Yeah, exactly as Mike said, a real mixed picture, I would say. So, I mean. Lending for those that could capitalise on the uh, the government lending schemes very well. For other lenders, not so much. Um, in savings and investments, good performances, the likes of Free Trade, Plum, Moneybox, doing, doing very well over this period. Um, and obviously payments with a big boom in online commerce and yeah, having yeah. lots of goodies delivered to our homes. Um, I think for those that have where well, we've seen furloughing or even redundancies, a lot of cost cutting. For me, it not necessarily um, due to COVID, but I think COVID has really just shone a light on issues that were perhaps already underlying in those business models. So, you know, did some of these fintechs, did they expand um, expecting growth that did not materialize this year? And did they have a bit too much of a loose attitude to spending and cost controls, which they've now had a real opportunity to sort of reset that. So we've seen we've seen that quite a lot. Um, and then looking at it from, from the point of view of big banks and other institutions, I think what we've seen in our client base is actually, it has sped up the desire to um, carry out digital and transformation projects and really allowed internal digital teams to go to their boards, go to their management and say, look, we need to speed up. Um, um, so so that's been interesting. And also it's given them a bit of poor thought on the way that they manage their branches and physical locations and offices as well. Obviously we've seen um, redundancy announcements and job cuts for the likes of Lloyd's over the last week or so. So so that's an interesting um an interesting development as well.
0: Thank, thanks, thanks, and thank you both. That, that's that's a really useful picture of of the sectors it stands today. I think setting the scene for uh, you know what what is to come. Um, and 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 we'd agree it's 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 been a mixed picture, as, as Marsha says. Some businesses have um, to an extent been been found out, or albeit or, or not you know there's little little blame to be ascribed. No, no one could have predicted this, but but obviously resilience has been tested like never before. For, for others, there really has been this kind of catalyst effect it seems. and, and I think catalyst actually is, is a word that innovate finance is, is using in its, its its current um current current campaign. Um, so back to, to, to Mike and, and and looking ahead now, starting to look ahead to the near term, say to next spring or summer, um, Mike, Mike, what do you think is in, in, in store for the UK fintech sector during during that nearer period? Do you, do you think um, we should start to, to cautiously be optimistic again? Or do you think it's possible that actually for some businesses the, the, the worst is still to come?
1: Well, I think a lot of businesses have obviously spent the last nine months uh, recutting their business plans. I mean, you, you've seen a lot of surveys that took place in the second quarter this year where a lot of fintech businesses said they had very limited runway, that they a lot were going to run out of cash within the next three, six or nine months. And most of those surveys took place before businesses had really started to readdress their business plan, because in March and April, nobody knew the extent of how bad the crisis was going to be. But I know a lot of businesses have um, rewritten big parts of their business plan in order to preserve cash. Um, Some of them have obviously used the government furlough scheme. Some of them have raised money from the government's future fund. Some have just raised money from external shareholders. So there's been a lot of work to right size businesses during the course of this year. And a lot of the businesses I talk to currently are looking to to resume as far as they can their normal trading at the beginning of next year. They're they're ready to to restart some of the products that they had paused. and they're they're very uh, positive about trying to get back on track next year. But I think inevitably twenty twenty one is gonna be a year of stabilization following the volatility that we've had this year. No one knows how many more semi-lockdowns are gonna come, so you've got to be agile to be able to to, to be able to deal with that. Um, but people have they've they've had to react very quickly this year to recut the business plans, they've put big expenditure on hold. Maybe they brought in external shareholders, um, so I think a lot of businesses feel they've done what they need to in order to weather the storm.
0: So, thanks, Mike, and 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 Marcia picking picking up on the points Mike make, makes around um, uh, around cash um, and 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 you know the extent to which businesses have sourced, uh, sought further for funding, tapped uh, tapped tap the future fund um, where where possible. Uh, Mike's theme around stabilization. Um, marsha, can can we talk a bit more about about venture capital funding? and i'll I'll come back to my on on this as well. Um, the 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 fintech sector, of course, has enjoyed very significant support from from VC, very significant VC funding over the last few years. and 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 we found figures that that they might be um eleven FS figures actually that that showed that more than you know two hundred billion dollars has been invested in in fintech in the last decade. u k. Fintech received a sixth of all VC funding last year. Um, Marsha, do you think that that the good times will continue to roll um, or or do you think we might start to see a slightly different funding landscape um, in in, in the next year and beyond?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Look, I I think we're gonna see much tighter valuations, a lot more scrutiny of projections and assumptions that are underlying business models and probably a lot more involvement and scrutiny in terms of actually overseeing management from investors. I don't think, you know, I don't think VC funding is going to dry up. I don't think that it will only be the big mature fintechs that will keep on funding and, and the others will get left behind. But I think there'll be a lot more focus on um, really having, really demonstrating that you have a sound business model and a and a sound path to profitability. Not necessarily that you'll be profitable within one to two years, but that that you have a sensible horizon and a solid plan to get there. Um, Another interesting thing I think is that actually, some people think that in the UK, the FinTech sector is is lagging a little bit and it's absolutely booming in the US. We're seeing a lot more more activity in Latin America, like Brazil, and in asia as well and i think might be slightly in danger of a lot of the vc funding not not coming into london but going elsewhere and and the london fintech or the uk fintechs having to fight a lot more um, for their piece of the pie
0: that, that that's interesting so so you think london and and the uk more broadly might actually have some some catching up to do and, and potentially even be in a vulnerable position potentially you know i guess we haven't touched on the B word Brexit yet, but but you, you know with, with Brexit coming um, uh, finally on on the first of January, um, do, do you think you know do, do you think UK fintech is is in a sort of talent battle and a battle for capital as you as you as you said with um, with with sectors abroad mm-hmm. as well
2: yeah i definitely think so i'm not sure brexit if it happens w- will help with that but um but it's also just the quality of the competitions in these other markets and um and really is are the uk regulators doing enough and the uk government to to, to keep london as the, as the hu- real hub of fintech across the world
0: yeah yeah thank, thank thanks for that marsha Mike, I'd be interested on, in in your views on on this too. I think we've we've discussed before and we've spoken about um, VC funding and and, and mm. the extent to which the government um, or, or or public sector funding is is involved.
1: So I think even before the crisis hit, there were already signs that there were funding gaps in the in the VC market for um, for fintech in Europe and, and in the UK. I mean, the the US is a much broader and deeper funding market and the gaps I think we were already seeing before the crisis here were in early stage funding and growth stage funding. And uh, there's been a quite a, a skew, I think, in funding towards um, more proven businesses for, and larger businesses. And I think over time that that is going to be a problem for the UK's growth in fintech and finding sufficient capital to fund the initiatives that are out there. And in some ways, the crisis is probably going to highlight that. Um, but the flip side is it's quite useful that the government set up the future fund because that was a recognition of a, of a funding gap and the government taking an initiative in combination with private money in order to help fill a, a gap that arose during the crisis. So that may be an interesting example of what could be to come um, as public-private type partnerships if there is to be some kind of action to to try and close some of these funding gaps.
0: Yeah, very, very, very interesting, very interesting indeed. Um, can, I, can I turn back to, to Marsh and sort of start to draw together what we've what we've talked about so far in terms of looking ahead. So so given Marsha, what we've discussed in terms of the differential impacts on different types of business in the fintech sector, the funding landscape uh, and and the potential for, for the government to um, or the potential ways in which the government or the public sector might might step in. What what themes do you think will emerge or might start to emerge in UK fintech during 2021 and, and beyond? And I'm thinking particularly in terms of sort of transactional activity uh, and what might happen um, sort of structurally in the sector.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, and I mean every year when we do these types of um podcasts and discussions everybody says oh consolidation but I'll say it again more consolidation um I do think we'll see a lot more of that um across the market it's it's been very prevalent in payments I think we'll start to see that expanding to other subsectors um, and and and, and link to that more partnerships as well between the big incumbents and also big techs for like the likes of Google with with some other some of the fintechs. Um, and and we've seen this already playing out over the last few years, but big banks making small minority investments in fintechs, getting a good feel for how it operates, how it may fit within their infrastructure and systems, and then growing that or just acquiring them. And I think I think that trend will continue. Um, a big thing we talk about at 11FS is banking as a service and embedded yeah. finance, and we think we're going to see a lot more of that over the next year or two. Um, and really, I mean, embedded finance exists already. It's, you know, you go to a premium furniture shop and you might take on some financing to fund your lovely purchase. If you've done that recently, you'll know it's a very, still a very clunky process, very manual. You'll get emails and calls from the relevant lender. It's not a nice, slick experience. I think um, over the next few years we'll start to see those kind of customer journeys being very seamless, very slick, and that's um, that can only really happen with very strong partnerships between the fintechs, the cons- the end retailers. And, and the banks as well who are providing the, the products and the license.
0: Yeah, yeah, re- re- really interesting. And a, a piece of terminology that was um, new to me, at least, it might be old news to, to everyone else, um, was, uh, that I heard recently was, was this, this suggested distinction between fintechs and tech fins. Um, fintechs being financial services businesses that that try and make use of technology in 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 better and more efficient ways and and, and tech fins being technology businesses that don't really rely on um, financial services for their margin it's only going to make an incremental benefit to to you know the the margin of of, of google or apple or, or or facebook but but who've got such huge distribution um that, that, that getting into financial services is 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 an obvious play for them so so that's um, that dynamic i think is going to be really um really interesting in the coming years particularly as you say marsha in relation to payments and and, and embedded embedded payments mm-hmm. embedded financial services um, mike can we, can we turn back to you and, and and um see if you have any um other or different thoughts on on on, on that sort of forecasting for the, for the structure um and, and, and future transactional activity in in the fintech sector
1: sure so I'm sure there will be um, further deals as we come out of the crisis, as you typically see that when you come out of um, financial crisis, that there are businesses that either uh, need a stronger partner to support them and they sell themselves, or alternatively they they prove themselves through the crisis. And one investor said to me that if businesses can show they can trade through this crisis, then they can trade through anything. It's actually quite a strong validation of their business model, um, which is better than any due diligence could have ever proven out when, when, when they look at certain businesses. So I'm sure we will see um, see more of that to come. I think it's quite interesting when you talk about the wider sector and your comment on fintech and, and tech fin. So I think there are still some very large tech players who've not yet arrived over here, but have the capability because of their scale and because of their data. And when you think about Amazon and the data they have, PayPal and their reach and data and whatsapp with their their payments application that they're using in other countries but hasn't hasn't yet arrived here yeah there are some very big players who've not who've not yet arrived here and um, we don't yet know what the competition might be in the next few years if some of those players decide that they want to start operating in, in size in the uk
0: yeah yeah there there are um i think from 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 both from the other side of the Atlantic and, and, and from East Asia, there are clearly very large players who, who, who are not here yet, aren't there? And um, uh, presumably it's, it's a matter of time. Um, we've spoken so far mostly around economic and, and, and financial pressures um, on, 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 on the fintech sector, uh, obviously principally in light of, of, of the COVID crisis and, and how that's affected the sector and how it might abate. Um, we should talk about other issues and and, and challenges as well which which um, the fintech sector faces or might face as as it develops so so I'll, I'll ask you both both this question but but turning to to marsha first marsha do you think there are any other um, key issues key agenda items that that fintech should be thinking about maybe not for immediately um because there' are obviously immediate other pressures but but as 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 um we get to stabilization as Mike puts it, that that businesses should have on their agenda and, and and be thinking about.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think a big one for me is is actually talent. So how do how do Fintechs keep attracting and retaining really great talent in their businesses? I think that's going to become more difficult, um not only because of brexit and travel restrictions, but also just because, you know, a lot of the banks and, and the tech things or the big techs, whatever you want to call them, are becoming a lot more innovative, doing a lot more exciting things. Uh, but they also have the benefit of being much more stable, very well funded, have great benefits, etc, which are appealing to people. And I think especially coming out of a downturn, you know, the startup dream is a bit less appealing. Mm. Um, and I think they'll find that people start to shift to other types of organization, and it may be h- harder to Harder to keep great talent. That's one. The other one I touched on earlier is just a lot of competition from other, other markets, um, other fintechs, um, and the fact that will have on funding. Um, I won't mention the 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 B word. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But thanks, Marsh, and, and Mike, can I turn to you on any um, other agenda items, any other broader issues? Which uh, yeah,
1: sure. My, I mean, yeah. Just to pick up on what Marshall was saying about uh, talent, uh, I mean, I actually think um, there will be some benefits coming out of the crisis for, from a talent perspective because it's caused a lot of businesses to realise that remote working is much more feasible than they ever mm. thought it could be. And actually, you don't have to hire, if you're based in London, you don't have to hire people who are in London. You can have a much broader view as to where you hire people from. And there are a lot of businesses are rethinking how their offices are going to be structured going forward. They don't need an office to house everyone at the same time. They're thinking about having smaller offices with hot desks, people working from home more often. And that then leads you to say, well, actually, I can hire people who live further away. You've got good skills. Maybe they're cheaper. We can offer them a flexible working package. So it might actually bring more people into the into the scope of um hiring for some businesses. Mm. A, a flip side of that, obviously is on the tech side, a lot of businesses have been hiring or have been t- taking on tech developers overseas because of the squeeze in the UK of finding talent. And a lot of people used to say, well, that's, a, that's a, you know, it's a temporary thing. It's only because we can't find the talent in the UK that we have to take on a team in the Ukraine or wherever. Yeah. But again, I think the crisis will cause companies to realize actually it's a, it's, a, it's a long-term solution to have people overseas. And um, you know we don't have to necessarily think about having UK developers, and I think that's a bit of a shame for the UK market, because there is this opportunity for us to train up a big part of the workforce to fill that gap. But that opportunity may be receding as companies realise actually you can you can manage people in lots of different countries without having everyone in the UK. I'm I'm not so, on, on on Brexit. It's probably worth just touching on. I'm. I'm not so concerned about. I think a lot of UK fintechs are quite domestically focused in their businesses and Brexit is probably going to have a second order impact. So the question for a lot of UK fintechs is what's the impact of Brexit on their customers and how will that result in how their customers trade with them rather than there being a direct impact of Brexit. The the multinational fintechs, I think, have been looking at their jurisdictional operations for some time, taking on licences in other countries not just because of Brexit, but just because I think passporting is not quite as flexible as it's often made out to be, and a lot of companies end up taking local licences because it's just easier and better to operate with a local licence. And so I don't think people are going to get caught out by passporting issues post-Brexit.
0: Thanks, Mike. Um, And and thanks to to, to both of you for for all of those fantastic insights. as I, as I said at the start, we're we're recording this on the sixth of November, um, on the, on the second day of lockdown two. So I thought we'd we'd perhaps end just on a note of optimism, um, uh, and and could ask for for a word from each of you, just on your number one hope. Um, for 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 the UK fintech sector for for 2021 and beyond, what 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 would you like to uh, what, what change would you like to see, um, which which you think is feasible in in the next year or two? Uh, start with Mike. Uh,
1: well, actually, I'm, what I'm quite excited about is it, it's it's more coincidental, but you'll you'll be aware that there's the fintech strategic review that's taking place at the moment. Yeah, and that was mandated. Pre-crisis, but that's but started post-crisis, and um, is a very wide-reaching review of fintech and how to uh, improve and encourage the UK fintech sector going forward. And its timing, actually, I think, is turning out to be apposite because obviously they're taking evidence right now in the in the in the thick of the of the crisis. And so I th- think and I hope that when they report. Um, that actually they'll be able to take account of a lot of these issues that have arisen through the crisis and come up with some very, uh, very good recommendations for how the sector can be improved going forward and taking account of the, the, the latest issues that have come out of the crisis. So I think that's actually quite a positive in terms of timing for the delivery of that report.
0: Yeah, that, 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 that's a great point. Thanks, Mike. Uh, and and, and Marsha, what's your note of hope?
2: Yeah, always good to end on a positive. Um, for me, I think it's, I'd love to see a lot more funding going into fintechs or really serving the underbanked and focusing on financial inclusion in the UK. I think yep. that's obviously a very important area. And I'd like to see see more attention on that and more of the big players getting involved there. I'll have another one, if you don't mind, which is, this is such a lawyer thing to say, but I'd love to see a big challenge of a bank acquisition next year. I don't think it'll happen, but... I'll be excited if it does.
0: We will wait and see. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, well, well, thank you both so much um, for, for for your time, um, and 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 that just about brings this brings this podcast to a close. Um, Mike Carter, Marshall Williamson, thanks again for 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 joining uh, and for all of your your great insights to the listeners. Um, thank you very much for tuning in, uh, and if you've enjoyed this, please do look out for the remainder of our FinTech 2021 series, goodbye.